Hey gals, welcome back to Working Gals Guide. Thanks for tuning in for another episode. Um, I love that you're here as always. Thank you so much again for tuning in. So I really just want to start off by saying thank you to everyone who had such great and positive feedback about last week's guest, Chloe. Um, for those of you who didn't listen or missed last week's episode, please go back and listen. We had so much positive feedback. It was crazy. Everyone loved Chloe. Chloe was awesome. If you listen, you'll understand. She just has the highest energy ever. She is so positive, but then also so intelligent. The episode was packed with different tips that she had around finances. Um, I guess for some more context, Chloe is a millennial uh, finance coach or a money coach. And she really gave um, a lot of tips during the episode last week about setting financial goals as a millennial, how to take control of your finances. And I think the best part was that she was very vulnerable and open about her own experiences with money in terms of student debt, in terms of what she was like in college with spending and things like that. So I highly recommend if you're ready to listen to another episode, go back and listen to that one for sure. Also, thank you to everyone that wrote in, by the way. I love your kind words. So today's episode is a great one, as always. Um, so today's guest, her name is Trisha Goyle. I want to say, first of all, that Trisha is incredible in a thousand different ways. Um, so the way I found out about Trisha was because she actually has a startup. So she actually founded or co-founded a company and is currently the CEO of that company called Break the Love. But as I was about to reach out to her, the first thing I do typically when I'm looking for guests or when they reach out to me, I'll go to their LinkedIn and I'll take a look at their history, what they do and whatnot, just to come up with questions and talking points and get a feel of who they are. So anyways, I knew Trisha was, again, the CEO and co-founder of this amazing company called Break the Love. And I'll get into what Break the Love does, but I knew she'd co-founded this company. I know she was a CEO. I was already ready to reach out to her to get her on, but I went to her LinkedIn anyways, and I don't really know what I was expecting, but when I looked at her LinkedIn, I saw that she was formerly in the product department of a lot of different companies, including Giphy, Huffington Post, and ESPN. So as you can imagine, my jaw dropped. I'm thinking to myself, what hasn't this girl done? She has worked everywhere, every big place. She's done incredible things with her, with her work experience and her professional life. So I was just extremely excited to get her on and reach out. I am very happy that she actually joined me to chat and talk a bit um, about her experiences at these big companies like Giphy, Huffington Post, ESPN, and what she did in product there. But then also how those different experiences really allowed her to thrive in her current role as CEO of Break the Love. Also, we chat about the transition from working at massive enterprise level corporations like, again, your Huffington Post, for example, to transitioning to a startup where you're actually doing almost every single role, especially when it's just really starting up um, and building it from there. I mean, at this point, Break the Love is an incredible company, an incredible community that's been built up. The company itself is an online platform that allows tennis players, and I'm talking tennis players of all levels, whether you are a beginner, a recreational player that plays every so often, or someone who plays more competitively. All types of players can use this platform to compete and learn and just play generally, virtually and locally. 
So what I love about Break the Love is that their mission is to make recreational tennis accessible and really provide access to, again, all levels of players to actually play the sport and really engage with the sport and engage with one another. Beyond what Break the Love does in terms of bringing players together just to play and compete and coach and things like that, they've also built this incredible and amazing community of players who are now able to connect and build friendships and really experience the sport of tennis together, which I think is just the best part. If you know me, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I come from a very long history of playing sports in my family and just sports in general growing up. So you know me and you know that I love sports and I love everything about it. So with that being said, I am just so happy that I was able to chat with someone who started a company that has really brought sport um, to the lives of other people and allowing them to really participate in it and build those incredible memories using the game of sports. So with that being said, I know you're going to enjoy today's episode. Make sure, of course, if you do, you subscribe, rate, and review. We love if you do so. And of course, follow us on Instagram at Working Gals Guide. All right, so let's dive right in. Today's episode, again, is with Trisha. I will link all of Break the Love's info in the show notes, so make sure to check it out if you're interested I'm sure you will be. All right, without further ado, here's today's episode. Hey guys, welcome back to the Working Gals Guide podcast. And you know the deal, I'm here to interview people in all different careers, all different industries, and chat about their journey and how they got there. I'm really here to help you get inspired and really help you find your dream job as well. So, Welcome to our podcast and thanks for tuning in. But I am curious because you've pivoted from very large companies like ESPN, Huffington Post, Giphy, massive companies that we all know and are, you know, household names for the most part to actually wanting to start your own startup. So where did that, um, where'd the idea come from and what made you have this almost pivot that you wanted to take going from the big enterprise level corporation to your own startup where you're building it from the ground level up? Yeah. So I think there's kind of two questions there and I'm going to try to answer both. And if I don't feel free to catch me and happy to go into it. But in terms of really how I started Break Love, I've always enjoyed sports and fitness, having had grown up in a pretty active household, eventually sticking it out with tennis along with running. And when I wanted to play, again, as an adult while I was working at these companies, um, I realized that if I wanted to have access to players, to courts and coaches, I would have to pay thousands of dollars to join a tennis club. And uh, as an entrepreneur at heart, so when I, you know, kind of being at these companies, I definitely was always um, kind of an entrepreneur, I would like Mm -hmm. to say, led products. So a lot of what I was working on was creating new features for users and consumer and really as an entrepreneur at heart, I saw this opportunity to change the future of recreational tennis. I thought, what if everything you would typically find at a traditional tennis club could be accessed easily online with a better customer experience and could even help players learn the sport, even if they have a budget. And that's really what prompted me to start Break the Love was kind of a personal pain point, but also candidly as an entrepreneur, a pretty massive opportunity that was really untouched on the internet. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, extremely interesting. And was it an idea for a long time where you're like, should this be something I actually pursue full time? And yeah. maybe you're working on it behind the scenes. Um, how did it come about where you actually took the step to step away from Giphy and into this role where you're solely focused on Break the Love? Definitely started out for a year as a side hustle. And a side hustle meaning I really just spent time understanding, like, am I the only one who, one, faces this problem? And two, is this a large enough market? And three, am I going to be passionate enough about it to pursue it full time? We got to a point where I launched a Squarespace um, page. I launched a Squarespace page and we had over 200 people sign up in the span of the first three months. And like, that was kind of when I was basically servicing and helping people connect with, you know, those three things with other players, with courts and coaches mm -hmm. on the side. And that's what I was doing for 200 people. And so when you are kind of in this really demanding job, which mm -hmm. I definitely was, um, and you just don't have any more hours in the day, that's really what for me was the breaking point of what pushed me kind of over the edge to leave my job leave kind of like corporate America, I'd like to say, mm -hmm. and kind of go down the route of starting Break the Love as a company full-time. Interesting. And when you first kind of launched the Squarespace site and you had all these people coming to you, the 200 people, which is a lot to begin with, especially. Yeah, we had zero marketing. Like yeah. it was all word of mouth through mm -hmm. friends of friends. And mm -hmm. it was yeah, it was a lot. <laughs> wow, that's incredible. And did you have kind of a community around you of tennis players and potential tennis players? Um, like, how did you keep that connection from, I would say, like your childhood when you talked about the passion for tennis and being a very active family and active household to, you know, more so in like your, I'm not sure how old you are, but in your 20s, maybe, or, yeah. you know, um, yeah, so in your yeah, 20s. Yeah. Um, to keep those connections and build the community or were you playing tennis throughout your entire life, even through university, through college and then afterwards as well? You know, I, I played tennis in high school, a little bit in college, but stopped after my sophomore year. And uh, I would consider myself a good tennis player, but still recreational at heart. And I think, you know, in terms of kind of the networks before launching the Squarespace page, I definitely found other players who felt the same way. It wasn't like 200, but it was like a dozen, you know? Um, and we all kind of had a similar vision of a democratized way to play the sport using technology, mm -hmm. using the internet to like make it easier and provide all those capabilities at a club, but provide them online. So mm -hmm. definitely had a network to start with. Um, Funny enough, they weren't actually people who were necessarily on my high school team or from exactly my college. They were just those who I connected when I was on the search for other players for myself. Mm -hmm. And so um, in terms of the community, that's kind of what I really tapped into initially was people who were experiencing a similar pain point as I was. And then I think um, to your second question of how, how was I, like, was I really, um, like why tennis and like why the passion for tennis. I think I'm definitely passionate about tennis, but I'm also just candidly passionate about sport and movement. Mm -hmm. I think that unlike a traditional, you know, fitness, you know, Peloton kind of situation or soul cycle class, um, sport has really the power to connect people with one another mm -hmm. in addition to, of course, getting exercise. Mm -hmm. And so when I thought about a lot of the sports that enabled me to do that, tennis was, like the top one. 
And it was the one that hadn't been disrupted. Like with golf, you have golfnow.com. Like there are kind of set for running has been, you know, there's Strava for running, but there just hasn't really been something made for tennis beyond a traditional league. Mm-hmm. So again, I was really passionate about being able to make recreational tennis accessible and also easier and more enjoyable, just like other sport categories have been disrupted prior to Break the Love kind of going into tennis. But in terms of, um, you know, the actual building of the platform, so by trade, I don't think you were ever a software engineer or a developer. Is that correct? That's correct. Mm -hmm. So in terms of kind of getting together, I would say the resources, the personnel to, to build the actual platform itself, was that something you leveraged the people around you that you knew, or did you have to go and hire some, you know, new employees uh, to help you out for this? Yeah. So I'm I'm a really big proponent of like the no code movement. I think that, um, and most product managers, they typically are they usually fall into like one or one or the, one or one of two buckets. They're either a bit more design oriented or a bit more engineering kind of CS based. Like they usually have like one set of experience or the other and slash, or they learn one or the other along the way. And so because I definitely had more of a UX UI um, kind of bent right over the, the engineering side, I really did focus on using kind of tools that existed to validate the concept as much as possible before investing in to your point personnel to actually build out custom tools to make the platform work more efficiently and candidly to um you know optimize our our roi Mm -hmm. and so that's really um kind of when i started thinking about personnel funny enough when i thought about personnel the first person that i thought of wasn't necessarily actually an engineer it was um funny enough an operator who could like manage our marketplace really at the end of the day, we're a connector and a lot of it comes down to processes. And like, once you have the processes, you can, you can use code to build out tools to scale it out. But before you kind of have all those tools, you need processes so that something can be repeatable without code. And then you add code to like expedite it and make it a lot more scalable. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. So yes, I think like it just really depends on your product. Um, but for us, we, I still think regardless, every every company, startup, business, whatever it may be, there's so many tools you can kind of take off the internet and create something mm-hmm. um, that I really believe in doing that over kind of investing in an engineer upfront. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And when did you first invite in the first additional person in to break the love? Was it the marketing operator or was it someone else that you invited in to help out as the first um I guess, second person into the company? Yeah. So, I mean, candidly for us, we are so like, we in a way started as a grassroots organization and converting it into essentially a company or, mm-hmm. you know, kind of leveling up to a company, I guess. But um, so we all have always had multiple people, a part of the team in my mind and eyes. Um, most of them were college players or club te- college t- tennis players as well. And so, um, we really kind of feel like a player-powered ecosystem. But that being said, when it came to the first, you know, official person, um, we really focused kind of on someone who was passionate about tennis and sport and could really help scale the back end of what we were doing through processes. Um, and that person did not necessarily need to be um, someone who could build out a front end or 
a back end with code, but someone who could take kind of what's being done while and just scale that out to really grow our user base and grow um, our provider base. Mm-hmm. No, that definitely makes sense. And I mean, working at the companies you've worked for, I'm sure you were part of the process um, and procedures, I guess, when growing the teams at the companies you've been at, um, especially as a product manager, you're able to add people to your team eventually and kind of build it around you. Has the process been similar now with your own company? Do you look for the same type of people, the same type of traits? Um, how has the process been able to I guess, be applicable from your past experience into this experience now? I will say I think recruiting and hiring is a very different process for an early stage company, startup, lifestyle, business, whatever you call it, versus, you know, a a Fortune 500 company like ESPN, which is owned by Disney. Like, it's, it's a very different process. I think the traits you're looking for in a startup is, really one complementary skills. So you, there's not really room um, because you're small to have a double dip in skill sets. You really kind of need people who can own a swim lane because it's kind of like an assembly line, if that makes sense. That's kind of how you have to operate in the early days. So I think um, that was a big learning for me is understanding that, okay, cool. Like while I might be great at product, there's only still by so many hours in a day. And so if I need to do the marketing and if I need to, you know, um, manage relationships with providers and if I need to, like, if I need to do all those other things, like, it's just not going to happen. And so I think in the early days, which was really a learning experience is in a big company, you might think you're, you're really good at a bunch of things as a product manager because you're working with so many different teams. But when you're working on your own company, when it's a lot smaller, you start realizing that actually you have probably at one or two strengths and you got to lean really hard into those strengths and you have to surround yourself mm-hmm. with people who have strengths and other things that aren't your strength. You mentioned the couple of strengths that you maybe found out that were really your key strengths and core competencies. What are those just out of curiosity? Yeah, um, I would definitely say definitely like the product and design side. So that's something that I do own. Um, and I also work very closely with our tech kind of side of things. And then the community for our players mm-hmm. so I think that's something so they I almost like to think if there was a head of community like I would probably like fit in that bucket um because that's in a way how we started so for me that's kind of those are almost the swim lanes that I typically am owning in my yeah. that's awesome and speaking of your day-to-day so as CEO as co-founder which of course amazing that you're at that spot in your career right now and you're so young but your day-to-day, what does it look like? What are you doing, um, you know, between nine to five or whatever hours you're working? And what are kind of the responsibilities that you now carry um, that you've grown up the team a bit more? Yeah, I mean, we're still small, only a five-person team. But in terms of the day-to-day, it's always different. But many a times it involves you working with our engineers, um, usually in the morning. So usually kind of understanding what we need to kind of prioritize on our website or in our intern on on our internal tooling side, um, connecting with my co-founder and COO to understand what she needs so I can kind of translate that to our engineers. So I think that's kind of a big thing in how I spend my mornings. And then many a times I'm really looking at our data and our metrics and trying to understand how we can, you know, grow our users or grow our bookings or grow our, our kind of provider base and be able to figure out a way to optimize our resources to 
pull, you know, pull on those levers. Some of them are using engineering resources. Some of them are not actually. Um, so I think that's kind of how I use the majority of my first half of the day, second half of the day. Um, I really try to spend time with our customers. So I'm really trying to understand whether it be kind of doing the customer service role myself and actually just like servicing them so I can kind of pick up on things that we need to add to our product or, you know, reaching out coldly to a customer and asking if they're willing to hop on a call sometime just so I could understand the pain points of the customer as best as possible, especially in today's kind of day and age with COVID mm -hmm. uh, and make sure that we're able to service them in the way that they need, you know, they need a gap filled. Mm -hmm. No, that makes sense. I mean, it seems like you're wearing a lot of hats right now and I'm sure you're going to continue to wear a lot of hats moving forward, but that's, I mean, your day-to-day, -day, it sounds great and extremely rewarding as well. I'm sure when you're talking to some of the clients or customers on the phone and they're probably giving you some great feedback, but then also saying, Hey, I love this so much that this is some of the things that maybe we can add to, you know, make it better for me. But at the same time, I'm sure you're getting so much positive uh, feedback out of this, which is, it's great. And it seems like you're similar to me in the, in the sense that you like talking to people and you're very personable. So I mean, I'm sure as soon as they get on the phone with you that they're like, wow, it's, it's great that this is the person behind Break the Love. This is the person who's here for me and ready to kind of serve me um, with this platform and build it up. And they have the customer in mind. So that's really important. Um, but I do want to talk a bit too about the challenges of being an entrepreneur because it definitely comes with its struggles, I am sure. I'm not talking from experience. I've never started a company for myself, um, but you know, I can only imagine. So what are maybe some of the toughest times you've had with Break the Love and how are you able to actually get through those tough times and come out mm -hmm. the other end? Yeah, I think um, the biggest, you know, the biggest challenge we're always facing at Break the Love is just being able to execute all of the ideas that we have for the platform. So unlike being at a, bit, at a big company where you have a ton of resources, at, you know, we're a five person team, we're really small. And so because of that, we're always trying to, we're always having to make trade-offs, I think. And you always hear that in the product lingo, you always read it in these books that are, you know, on entrepreneurs, but the trade-offs that you have to make are always kind of the thing that weigh most heavily for me when it's like, okay, um, you know, I want to have these 10 features out, but realistically we only have bandwidth to execute on like two of them. Um, so I think that's kind of a big thing. I think I've definitely learned in the past year and a half, kind of, it's almost like a muscle that you have to just train and like practice, practice, practice. And I feel like in the last year and a half, I've definitely gotten a lot better mm -hmm. at being able to understand how to um, prioritize and, and basically just feeling more comfortable about the trade-offs that we're making. Right. That makes sense. Um, apart from the hard skills that you have um, and the technical skills and the design skills, what are maybe some of the more personality traits that you think you have that have made you a successful entrepreneur to this point? I think curiosity is a big thing. Um, I think it's really tough to be an entrepreneur if you're not like really curious and kind of like hungry about that curiosity. So um, yeah, I think curiosity has been a really big asset for me because really with consumer products, especially it's like, there's so much on the internet. And I think if you're not curious to continue kind of learning about your customers and learning about 
you know, for us, it's on both sides of the market. It, it's going to be, it's like a tough road <laughs> to mm-hmm. be an entrepreneur because that's like the motivating North star for you is continually making the product better and better and better to, which inherently will grow your user base on user base for this product. So I think, um, that is like the natural innate kind of not skill, but trait that I've always had is that, um, curiosity. And I think the second is, um, just kind of like a team oriented kind of, um, lens is, is really important to have. I've always been very team oriented. I think in product you're, there's kind of like a no I in team, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so being able to work with a team, make sure that your team feels motivated is something that has always kind of been in me. I've, I, I was, you know, I was captain of my tennis team. I was, I was kind of always that person who liked being on a team, um, even prior to my professional career. So yeah, I think curiosity and being team oriented have been very helpful for me. Mm-hmm. No, it definitely makes sense. And I think that, you know, you read a lot about different entrepreneurs that have built successful companies up. And I think a lot of, um, you know, that comes from the curiosity, like you mentioned, I also see, you know, collaboration, teamwork, um, being able to motivate others. That's huge. Especially I think your experience being team captain, um, at a sports team, it's the same thing. You're leading someone, you're leading a team. You're trying to motivate them to be the best they can and achieve whatever goals you've set as a team. So there's definitely a lot of transferable, um, I guess, lessons that you can have from, those early days in high school and college when you're taking on those roles and taking that initiative to now growing a business as well. And I think I hear like more often than not, a lot of different successful entrepreneurs were very prominent figures within their sports or athletic teams when they were younger. And, you know, for example, the CEO of the company I work for now, like he was um, a university rower, for example, and he has talked about being you know, a captain of some of the athletic teams he was on too. So I see a lot of that come out as you do talk to people about their experiences. And I think you do see those similar traits that you just mentioned in a lot of um, different entrepreneurs and CEOs, um, you know, when you get down to it. So yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I definitely, you know, just to kind of add to that point, I think when you're an athlete, just conceptually or being, it doesn't have to be necessarily at the collegiate level or, or pro level, but I think naturally you're always just strive, striving to be better than you were yesterday. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also kind of our personality trait. Like it's very necessary when starting a company because you're not, you're never going to be good enough. Like the product will never be good enough. Kind of, you're always having to make it better and better and better. And that's kind of to the point of, you know, being on a team sport is like that relentless kind of like sense of, of improvement um, is something that, you know, we at Break Love definitely look for when bringing on anyone onto mm-hmm. our team. It's just someone who really wants to continually get better. Yeah, they're like hungry to serve the company, make the product better, but then also make themselves better because in turn that does affect the company in a positive way. Yeah, I definitely see that. Um, yeah, to kind of wrap things up, the last couple of questions I have, the one, um, you know, some of the you know, your favorite milestones that break the love is hit. Um, some of the most rewarding times you've had. Can you talk us through some of those? Yeah. Um, so wow, most rewarding milestones, definitely launching our web product. This, this, like during COVID has been a huge milestone for us. We, we started off as a, as a text message product last summer and we've come a longer way and now have a web platform. 
Um, so I think that's a pretty, that was a pretty big milestone for us where you, now you can search for coaches and courts through our platform and book them. So I think that was a, a big deal for us. And then um, I want to say the second milestone was bringing on our second engineer. So that was a pretty big milestone as well. That's awesome. All right. Uh, very last question. Best piece of career advice you've ever been given, whether it be from a professor, a parent, um, a coach, anyone whatsoever, but best career advice ever? Um, best career advice. Ooh, there's so many, but <laughs> I think one is that there's no shortcuts. So like there is, of course, to your point, um, I think we were talking about this before we hopped on. Uh, or before we press record here, but there are so many stories, of course, out there for startups or, career, or you know, careers, for people who are, who are aspirational, but like to get there, there's a lot of hard work and there really aren't shortcuts. So I think um, many a times I've, I've met a few people kind of here and there who ask like, you know, how, how did you do it? You know, what, like all of these things. And I think the big thing is like, it was a lot of hours, like it was a lot of hours, um, sweat and labor to kind of get to even like this version of Break the Love or even candidly prior to Break the Love, getting to, you know, X spot at, you know, ESPN or Giphy or HuffPost. It was a lot of kind of that proactiveness. Um, and I think that's kind of what that advice that there's no shortcuts is like, no one's going to just hand you something. You're, if you want something, you have to really go after it. And I think um, that's kind of a piece of advice that I would share with everyone is that um, even if it's kind of scary to to be assertive or to reach out to someone, I think um, if you want something, you just kind of have to go and, and get it. Yeah, I love that advice. And it's so true. Um, you know, the more people I speak to, the more I realize that nothing is ever handed to anyone or very seldom is it. It's like, you see someone working, for example, at um, E! News. You think, okay, this person just landed there. They had a connection. But the reality is you didn't see the behind the scenes when they put together 13 different packages of the writing samples and sent it over the span of five years and was rejected X amount of times. And now they finally have the job. But what we didn't see is the behind the scenes part of it. So I love that advice so much. I think it's a really good message to internalize and just remind yourself all the time putting in the hours, putting in the work needs to be done. And a lot of times you have to take the initiative yourself to figure out what route you want to go and what work you need to put in to get there. Because unfortunately, a lot of times the path isn't laid out. It's also not the same for everyone. So everyone gets to maybe similar spots at the end of the day, but they're going to take a different windy route to get there. So you know, it's great advice and I love that. And I think um, I'm going to put that on like my top five list of advice to follow every day. Um, <laughs> I love it that much. But thank you so much for coming today. I've appreciated the time you spent chatting about your professional career and what you've done so far with Break the Love. And again, very admirable what you've built up. You know, it, it's great to hear a woman, you know, cutting into the sports space, but then also building out a platform, um, you know, that's built on technology as well. So it's incredible. But before we do hop off, where can people find Break the Love? Where can they find you and anything else that you're working on? Um, let us know where all that is. Yeah, you can sign up for Break the Love at www.breakthelove.com. Um, we're currently in New York and LA. But we, if you sign up, we always have someone who kind of learns to understand where you are and 
maybe we'll pop up there if we have enough demand there. So definitely sign up on our website. If you want to follow us, you can follow us on Instagram at break the love as well. Awesome. Thank you. And last thing, just so people know, do you have to be a certain level of tennis player to sign up or can you be any level? Any level. So you can be a beginner all the way to a really advanced player and sign up and um, get connected to your kind of digital tennis club. Amazing. Perfect. Thank you so much. It's been, again, amazing chatting with you. Not a problem.